Welcome to Bible Near You, a Bible study program that seeks to shed some light on the Bible and aims to drive the shade of ignorance from the mind of the people across the world. The program comes to you every Wednesday at BibleNearYou.co.za at 1600 South African Standard Time. We are also available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and other podcasting platforms. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Bible Near You. If you have any questions concerning the content of our show, you can email us at question at biblenearyou.co.za. Now we join our host and teacher, Lungisa Jostri. This is another day that the Lord has made. And we are to rejoice and be glad in it because uh, that is God's will for us to enjoy life to the glory of His holy name. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning for your love and your grace. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to come and to hear the study of your word as we look at the book of Second Samuel. We ask you, Lord, to help us to give us more insight and grant us more understanding of what your word is about. We say thank you, Lord, for every good gift that comes from you. And we ask everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, my dear friends, I'd like to welcome you to our 11th session of Bible Near You. And I want to thank everyone that is supporting us, everyone that is commenting. Thank you very much, my brother's eggs. Uh, thank you to Brother Bafana Zulu. Thank you, Brother Sipo. Thank you very much for your kindness and your support uh, throughout. Uh, thank you so much. Now, I want to give an announcement that today um, at 7, 7 p.m. South African time, we will be hosting a live session and we'll be dealing with the book of Samuel still, Second Samuel, but deeper than we do on the podcast, because at the podcast, uh, we have a very limited time. And uh, I tried to make this podcast short because some people cannot afford to stream for longer time or to download the file if it's too large. So we will be going um, live at seven on Facebook. The link is um, on the show notes and also uh, on our WhatsApp group. The invitation is there. And if uh, you like Bible Near You page on Facebook, the event is there. You can just um, click going or interested. And when we go live, we will be notified. So we are still on our journey to go over all 66 books of the Bible. And we do that in 67 weeks. Um, the reason it's 67 weeks is because the first week or the first episode had to do with the introduction of the Bible, just an, an aerial view of the whole Bible, where we looked at the Bible and how it's divided into two sections, and, and those sections are also divided into uh, various subsections. So we have gone through nine books, and we open up with the book of Genesis, followed by the book of Exodus, then Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, and these books belong to the section of the law. And now we are under the section of history. Uh, we've started with the book of Joshua, followed by Judges. And then we came to Ruth. And now we are in the book of Samuel. We did first Samuel last week. Now we are on second Samuel. 
Samuel, as uh, we discussed last week, that he is the last judge uh, and he is the first king and uh, sorry, is the first prophet and a priest to anoint the first king of Israel. So there was never a king in Israel and the very first prophet and the priest was um, Samuel who anointed the king in Israel. He anointed both Saul, Saul who was later rejected and then anointed David. He brings to the nation of Israel a transition from the era of the judges to the era of the kings. Because you get the period of the judges and then you get the period of the kings. His arrival comes as a very critical time, as we discussed last time. Um, his arrival comes at a critical time where the word of the Lord was rare. That means there were no prophets. No one was preaching the gospel. There was so much corruption in the temple. Uh, Levi's, uh, sorry, El Eli's sons, Eli's sons. Well, of course, they are sons of Levi, but uh, specifically Levi, uh, sorry, Eli, uh, his sons, um, since Eli was a priest in those days, his sons were very corrupt and they were lying with women and they were also eating offerings in a manner that was not permissible. So basically they were desecrating the offerings. So they had to be judged and God had to raise Samuel to be the prophet and also the priests in Israel after Eli. So now let us look at the book of Second uh, Samuel. We're looking at the title, the author, and date, and the message of Samuel, Second Samuel. Well, as we discussed last week, that the book of Samuel, those two books of Samuel, they were originally one book. So if we talk about the author and the date of those books, um, First Samuel is going to be the same as the Second Samuel. So if you didn't listen to the First uh, Samuel, the episode of episode number ten, which dealt with First Samuel, I advise you then to go and listen because it's the same thing. The title, the book is called. This one is called Second Samuel, but they were just one book, and the reason they were separated, it is uh, because around 300 BC where seven scribes were translating the Greek Septuagint to Hebrew, sorry, from Hebrew to Greek. So what happened is the book of Samuel could not fit in the scrolls. So the scrolls could not contain the whole book of Samuel. And so those uh, scribes, those seven scribes, they decided then to break the book into two sections. So you get first Samuel and second Samuel. But it's one book. If we treat it, we should read and treat it as a single book. So the author and date. Well, the author of the book of Samuel is unknown. We don't know who wrote the book of Samuel. Some people believe that Samuel wrote the two books of Samuel. However, just like the other books we have dealt with in the past weeks, uh, looking at the Pentateuch and the first section of history, there is no concrete evidence that Samuel wrote the book of Samuel. If you go further into the book, Samuel could not have written about his death. If you look at First Samuel chapter 25, verse 1, which tells us that Samuel died. So Samuel could not have written that, that Samuel died. You understand? Uh, and the events that happened years after he had died. For example, the death of Saul, the 
King David taking over the kingdom, he could not have written that because when Saul died, Samuel was already dead. Samuel died first. Okay. So it appears, though, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 25, and also in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 29, that Samuel once wrote a book. With this information, we can speculate that First and Second Samuel could contain the pieces of the writing of Samuel, Nathan and God, and but we cannot fully credit Samuel as the main author of the book. We cannot say that Samuel is the sole author of uh, of the whole book of Samuel, or as we know it, First and Second Samuel. But we can say that whoever was writing incorporated the writings of Samuel, and then. Also, the writings of Nathan and the writings of God, because God was also a prophet in the times of David and Nathan as well. So we can say that and say maybe whoever was writing was writing incorporated their writings as he, he conducted research, collecting information. Then we can say that maybe. So as for the date, we can say maybe the book was written between 960 and uh, 550. But when you look at the history that is being covered, it's a history that could have taken place around 1100 BC. So it could have been written maybe um, just around those times, 960, um, 550. Uh, some people believe that, that there are Deuteronomic priests that wrote it in the exile. So we, we're not quite sure really when exactly was this book written, so we can just estimate the years around there. And also the message of the book of Samuel. Well, Second Samuel continues where First Samuel left off. Remember that, as I keep on mentioning, First Samuel and Second Samuel are one book. So in one Samuel, chapter 31, which is the last chapter of First Samuel, we witnessed the death of Saul and Jonathan in the battle against the Philistines. So Saul gets heads and orders his armor bearer to kill him. But the young man was afraid to do it. So Saul fell upon his sword and died. And his armor bearer did the same and died. Now we open up Second Samuel where David returns from killing the Amalekites. And he's met by a man who identified himself as an Amalekite. A man claimed that he killed the enemy of David, Saul, and that he had brought the crown of Saul and a bracelet of Saul to David. Now, the man thought he was bringing good news to David, a miscalculation that costed his life. So David could not find it joyful that Saul had died and the death of Jonathan made matters worse. So as a result, when the man came there, coming and claiming that he had killed Saul, who was David's enemy, he could have, uh, of course, uh, assumed that if I kill the enemy of David, maybe I will be treated favorably uh, with David. Maybe he will promote me or make me one of his servants or whatever. So basically, the man was sucking up. I mean, he's an Am Amalekite, and David just finished killing the Amalekite. So... He's, he's coming in here and he, he comes with this big lie, as we know that this man did not kill Saul, but he claimed that he did. And so by Saul admitting he was killed, he witnessed against himself to his death. 
so he was killed. David killed, sent, told the man to kill him because he, he was not afraid to raise his hand and kill the anointed of the Lord. I mean, David had a, that kind of a heart. There was a time where David had a chance to kill Saul when they find Saul and his camp sleeping. But David could not do it. He didn't do it. He said, I would not lay my hand upon uh, the Lord's anointed. Now, when we start looking at Second Samuel, we realize that there's a divided Israel there, right there. So the book shows us that David did not become the king of Israel right away after Saul's death. He was anointed king by the men of Judah, while the rest of Israel anointed Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, to be the king. So the lead influencer in Israel at those days was a man named Abner. He was the captain of the armies of Saul. He is the one that promoted Ishbosheth and got Israel to cleave to him. So David reigned seven years in Hebron over Judah, and Ishbosheth reigned two years over Israel. Now, there was a long conflict between the house of Saul and the house of David. And we could understand, I mean, Saul was the king, and David was anointed secretly in the house of Jesse and was not declared a king. There was no trumpet that was blown to announce David as a new king instead of Saul. So technically, even though Saul was rejected as king of Israel, but the people viewed Saul as the king of Israel and David his champion. Because you remember that David, after being anointed and then continuing to do his business, he was then sent to um, the battlefield to bring food for his brothers. And this is where he saw Goliath. And then David enters into the scene and saves Israel. And then after that, he became popular. And, and Saul also kind of liked him. And uh, he, he actually um, made him uh, an important captain of uh, uh, his, his army uh, in a way. So what we see here is that now David... When, sorry, when Saul dies, um, they understand that, well, his son should become the king. They don't understand that David should become the king of Israel as he was anointed by Samuel. So they just said, nope, there's a son of Saul. So Ishbosheth will take over and be our king. But then the people of Judah, they made David the king. I think they may have heard or they may have witnessed Maybe in Judah, because this, this anointing of David happened in the house of Jesse in Bethlehem and Judah. So they could have said, you know, they could have known that Samuel had anointed David. So they made him their king. So there were two kings now in the nation, Ishbosheth and David. And this is the struggle between the house of Saul and the house of David. Um, and that, and in that conflict, we see Job's brother, Asahel, being killed by Abner. So now as as they were come there's a time where Joab and Abner came to meet and there were twelve men uh, who were representing David and there were twelve men representing Ishbosheth and they were fighting and they were like sparring you know, like playing. So they killed one another and then war ensued, they fought and there was a great slaughter those people, those men of Israel, they fled before Joab and his servants. So they they fled and Abner also had to take flight and, and run away. As he was running away, Ahasel, the brother of Joel, chased him. And they said Ahasel was very, very fast. He was a very fast man. So he chased Abner and uh, Abner turned around and told him, look, turn back. 
Find another man, kill another man, just stand back. Why should I smite you? But Ahasel did not listen, and so Abner killed Ahasel and just plunged his spear on his fifth rib, they say. Now, what happened is that, now, as a result, Joab and Abishai, the brothers of Ahasel, they wanted to re they wanted revenge, they by all means. So meanwhile, while well, all this is happening, Ishbosheth then accused Abner of sleeping with Saul's concubine, and that made Abner angry, and he went to David to negotiate a deal where he would bring all Israel unto him and be their king. So Joab was there. Sorry, Joab was not there when this happened. Joab was not there. Was not there. But when he heard that. The king let Abner go in peace. He was disappointed and he confronted the king. But later, Joab and Abishai follow Abner and they killed him. Now, this is putting a dent because uh, as Abner was negotiating the deal to bring Israel to David, now this is kind of ruining things now. So David mourned Abner's death and distanced himself from his murder and his murderers too. So all Israel believed that David had nothing to do with Abner's death, and he did not desire that. So now, while Israel started gaining confidence towards David and believing that he didn't mean anything and he didn't touch Abner and didn't command his death, then there are these two men now. Uh, these two men just, just come, and and they went to Ishbosheth's house and find him sleeping on his bed, and they killed him. They cut off his head and brought it to David. Uh, now, this again was a terrible miscalculation to their ruin. They thought that David would be pleased, but he wasn't pleased with the fact that they killed an innocent man in his own house upon his bed. So David ordered that these murderers be killed. So you can see the heart of David, how he dealt with his enemy and his opposition. David did not fight for himself. And he hated it when people are killed for no reason, just because they're opposing him. We have to draw a great lesson here, my dear friends. So this very uh, chapter, what I've just told you is from chapter 1 to chapter 4. Chapter 1 to chapter 4 of Second Samuel. So we can see that at chapter 1, David was not pleased with, with Saul's death and Jonathan's death. So the men that came to rub it on his face and just come and bring, you know, the crown and, and try to make David maybe happy about it. Well, he was not successful. In fact, he died. Now, here are these men who didn't know and who did not understand David, never even inquired from David if he should do this if they should do this, but they just went presumptuously, killed a man. And this is, remember that Ishbosheth was not fighting anyone. He was not at war. He was not fighting. He was lying on his bed peacefully in his own house. They invaded his house. They came and they killed him. And then they cut off his head. So that was murder. That was premeditated murder. And they had to die. And it is very understandable. David did right thing. So now in chapter 5, now we see Israel uh, beginning to unite now. Uh, we, when we get to the fifth chapter, the elders of Israel are coming to, he, uh, to he, um, Hebron and they come to anoint David as king over all Israel. Remember that in Hebron, David was reigning over Judah. 
because the men of Judah had anointed him and made him king there. But now also the elders of Israel, they come and they make him king over all Israel. Now, one cannot help but to notice that David was anointed three times to be king. The first time he was anointed by Samuel in Bethlehem, and that is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. The second time he was anointed by the men of Judah in Hebron, that is 2 King chapter 2, verse 4. And the third time was by the elders of Israel in Hebron, and that is in chapter 2, verse 5 to verse 3. Now, David took over Jerusalem and dwelt there. So there were Jebusites in Jerusalem, and uh, they were occupying that city. So David had to go there, fight with them, and take over the city. And uh, he was successful. And he also increased his concubines. And that I don't think that was a good judgment, because in Deuteronomy, it does say that the king must not multiply wives or horses or his wealth. But then here he's uh, increasing his concubines, and this is causing a, a problem in the family life, because there's always inequality and resentment between uh, the children and uh, perhaps the mothers as well. So uh, God did not really uh, design that uh, there be polygamy, but here the kings are doing it and God seems to be turning a blind eye, but there are consequences and uh, dire consequences, in fact. He also uh, fought and defeated the Philistines at Baal-Perazim. Now, the next thing he did, he brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And that is when he got an idea to build God a house. So God denied him the privilege of building the house. But instead, he promised him that his son will build it. So the son that was going to sit on his throne. In fact, this is where also we get um, an idea that the kingdom of David will not cease. It will continue forever. This is where, this is where we get that, uh, that idea of, um, of David's kingdom increasing and, and not ending, lasting for generation to generation. So God was making a guarantee here that there will not, that there would not be a time where there's no king uh, on David's throne. And um, here in chapter 7, verse uh, 13, um, he says, uh, first, let me just, let me just, um, let me just start from verse 11. It says, and since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, I have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies. Also, the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. He will make thee a house. The Lord will make a house for David. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. At this point, just note this, at this point, Solomon is not yet born. Solomon is not yet born. And we know that the, the mother that gave birth to Solomon, there was a scandal there you know, for her to come to, 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 be, to become David's wife. It started with a scandal, but somehow God uh, had mercy and permitted the same woman to give birth to a king that was going to continue and further the kingdom. So this is what he says here. 
He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of man and with the stripes of children of man. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. So he says here, he's not going to deal with the son of David or whoever will come and rule after David. He will not deal them with Saul as Saul as he dealt with Saul. He will not completely remove the kingdom from him as he did with Saul. And uh, verse 16, it says, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established, shall be established forever before thee. Thy th- sorry, thy throne shall be established forever. So this is where we get. So one person will ask, well, in Israel right now, there's no king. There's no king that sits upon David's throne. So we've got prime ministers now and there are elections and all that. We don't have a king in Israel. So where is the king who sits at the throne of David? We have a king, a king forever. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is called or the Messiah is called the son of David and he is the king forever. He's the king forever. He's the priest forever. He's the prophet forever. So we've got Jesus occupying all these offices and they reign for he reigns forever, forever, forever. His kingdom knows no end. So there will not rise any more king in the house of David. But there is this one righteous king whose kingdom will never be stripped away from him. So Jesus is born out of the house of David from the very royal lineage. And uh, he's a he's a king forever. Now we look at at uh, David's family troubles. Now David had many problems in his house. Uh, it started it started off when he he committed a sin, of course. So when you look at the life of David, life of David is not perfect. David is far from being perfect. He had a fair share of personal problems. He slept with Uriah's wife, and when she got pregnant, David tried with no success to get Uriah to sleep with his wife. Can you believe that how corrupt this man was, if you come to think of it? He sees Uriah's wife bathing. He calls someone. He asks about her. They tell him, this is Uriah's wife. He says, they s- I mean, I would have understood if David slept with this woman not knowing that he was somebody's wife. He knew. He saw him. He desired. He saw her. He desired her. Then he sent. He asked about her. They tell him this is Uriah's wife. And then he said, go and fetch her. He sleeps with her. When she gets pregnant, he tries to pin the pregnancy to the husband. He gets the husband drunk. He gets Uriah drunk. I mean, he calls him from war. There was a, there was war. They were fighting. I think they were fighting the Ammonites. And he, what he does is, he he calls, <laughs> he calls Uriah to come, and he he makes him drunk, and then he send he says go home. But Uriah didn't go home, didn't go home to his wife. Instead, he went in and sat at the gate. So he refused, even under influence of alcohol. The man 
knew what was right. So David saw that. So this may this matter is going to come up. It's going to become a huge scandal. Rather, let me call Uriah, give him a letter to Joab and uh, make a conspiracy to kill him. So he got Uriah killed, but God was watching. God was watching. So Nathan comes and confronts the king about this. He tells Nathan comes with great wisdom. He says, there's a man who had one ship and he loved his ship. He washed his ship. He ate it. He slept it in his bed. He treated it like his child. But then there's a man with a lot of sheep who was a sojourner, a traveler. He comes in, takes the sheep. Sorry, there was a man who had a lot of sheep and then he had a visitor. When he uh, when a visitor came to this rich man's house, he takes the sheep of this one poor man and he slaughters it and serves it to uh, his visitor. And so David said that whoever did this should die. And then Nathan said, it is you, Lord. God says, I made you a king in Israel and I've given you everything. And if you have desired anything, I would have given you that also. But you have disgraced my name in Israel and you have taken Uriah's wife. You slept with her and you killed the man. So this is, and then immediately when David realized that the matter is known in the sight of God, he repented. He repented. He confessed his sin. He humbled himself before God. And God said, okay, you are not going to die, but the child that this woman is carrying will die. So, and that happened. So after he killed the man, David took the wife and God rebuked him, but he humbled himself. And so there, he's now having a new wife, Bathsheba, the ex-wife of Uriah. Now, David Due to this uh, misjudgment and his action on Uriah's wife, his family was thrown into turmoil. So Amnon, David's firstborn, Amnon was the firstborn of David. He went and raped Tamar, his half-sister. Tamar was David's daughter from Absalom's mother. So David held a grudge, sorry, Absalom held a grudge for two years after which he killed Amnon and then fled to Gesha. I would say that David had a hand in this because when David heard that Amnon raped Terma, the, the, the Bible says he was angry. It says David became angry, but then he did nothing. There's no action the man took to make sure that justice is done because his son has committed folly in Israel. Um, he has sinned. He slept with his sister and not only slept, he forced himself into his sister. And it, that should not have been allowed because it was against the law now to lie with your with your father's daughter. It was against the law now. Uh, earlier, it wasn't um, because we realized that Abraham and Sarah are brother and sister. They are children of the same father, but different mothers. Abraham says that when he explains his case to one of these kings. I think it's it's Pharaoh or um, it's the the other one, um, Abimelech. Between those two, there's one he explained to them that, yes, she is indeed my sister. We are one father, but different mothers. But now God had given a law that you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't lie with your with your sister. So. Uh, Amnon did it. He he raped his sister. And then David got angry but did nothing. And Absalom, I think he resented his father. And he hated Amnon. And for two years he didn't speak to Amnon. He didn't say a word. 
and he made a conspiracy and uh, he killed Amnon and then uh, Absalom fled. He actually exiled himself to Geshur or Gesha. So when he came back after three years, and that was after intervention of Joab, knowing that David was, his heart was aching towards Absalom and he, he wished to bring him back. So Joab actually uh, intervened and interceded and created a plan that David will bring back the son. And so he comes back, but for two years again, he didn't see the king's face. He didn't come. David didn't call his son to him, um, even though he was back. I mean, imagine living for two years and you're not, you're not seeing your dad for two years. So he called Joab, he says, Joab, come, I will send you to the king. And Joab did not come. And so <laughs> Absalom, he burnt the field of Joab and Joab came to him and says, well, you didn't come. I want to send you to the king. I wanted your attention. I, ca I called you and you didn't come. So that's why I'm burning your field. Then he sends him to the king and the king uh, says, okay, Absalom can come. King kissed Absalom, he embraced him, um, right. But then, later, this son of David, Absalom, he rebels against his father. He turns the heart of Israel against the king. He, he, whenever there are people coming to receive, like, to get judgment, of they have issues that need to be resolved by the king, what, so, uh, what Absalom would do is he will intercept them and he will... Uh, judge their matters and send them away and then he started organizing uh, his uh, little blood and then he had people to blow trumpet and say that Absalom is the king and there were men who were involved here and the soldiers who were following Absalom they didn't know what was going on they didn't know it was a conspiracy they thought it was a legitimate thing that was going on and so uh, a coup d'etat was uh, initiated so Absalom was uh, wanted to tumble his kingdom father. But then, well, there was war. As you go on to chapter 18, there was war. They were fighting and uh, Absalom died. So Absalom had to die. And uh, it was a terrible thing. Um, David didn't want uh, Absalom to die. He didn't want Absalom to die. But, well, he had to die. I mean, at some point... One point or later, he had to die. The man was raising his hand against his father. And, uh, well, the Bible says, Honor your father and your mother, that the days be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. And this man had no respect. And David was the anointed of the Lord. And uh, he was chosen by God to be king of Israel. And Absalom had no right to come and uh, fight against his father. So he had to die. So Joab killed Absalom, even though David was specifically instructed them that deal kindly with my son, like do not kill him. So they should have arrested him or something, but they killed him. So he died and, and David mourned, of course, over his son. Now, also in the book of Samuel, what also we, re, we second Samuel, what also we see is that there was trouble in the land. There was a three year famine, three year famine, and that is found in chapter 21, it says in chapter 21, verse 1, there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year. So three years consecutively. 
And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. So that's what happened here. This was the issue. Now, who are the Gibeonites? The Gibeonites, we first hear of them in the book of Joshua chapter 9. Let me turn to Joshua chapter 9. And uh, we're going to read it. It says, And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side of Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and in all the coast of the great sea, and over against Lebanon, the Hittite, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Perizzites, the Hevites, the Jebusites, heard thereof, that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work willily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles old and rent and bound up and old shoes and old clouted sorry, old shoes and clouted upon their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua unto the camp at, Gib at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country now, therefore make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are you, and from whence you come? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings, of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet him, sorry, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new. Behold, they be rent. And these our garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took their victual and asked not counsel from the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swore unto them. And it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came into their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chephira and Biroth and Kijar Jairim. And the children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them 
by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation murmured against the princes. But all the princes said unto all the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel, now therefore we may not touch them. So the story goes on. I'm not going to read the whole thing. The story goes on where Joshua tells them that what you've done is, is, is wrong. And now you are going to be our servants forever. So now you understand that the Gibeonites, they tricked Israel into a covenant. And so they were not allowed to kill them. But the Gibeonites were going to be tribut tributaries or servants to the Israelites. So Saul crossed the line and therefore retribution was required. And so some of the men related to Saul were handed over to the Gibeonites to be hanged. Thus the famine was ended. Terrible thing. So another incident is when David counted people and somehow he was not allowed to do that. And it displeased the Lord. So God sent God, the prophet, to give David three choices. Seven years of famine, three months fleeing from enemies, or three days of pestilence. So David chose wisely. He chose to fall into the hand of the Lord. And he was counting on his great mercy. And indeed, before the end of three days, well, the angel that was smiting Israel or Jerusalem um, appeared. And uh, God said to the angel, stop, it's enough, it's enough. So uh, David saw it and uh, he went and bought uh, a threshing floor from Arona and uh, he made a sacrifice there and the Lord was uh, entreated. So in conclusion, my dear friends, what can we gather from the book of Second Samuel is that we can gather that it gives us the story of King David, especially after the death of Saul. We learn about his rise into power and the struggles that come with it. And moreover, David was a man who was far from being perfect. He went out of the way and sinned, and he had, a, and he had family problems like any other man. Yet he was tender-hearted. When he was confronted because of his sin, he humbled himself. Even though he was king, he could have risen up with pride and, and disciplined those who challenged him, but he was tender-hearted. He humbled himself before the Lord, and he trusted the Lord for salvation. Now, it is important in our lives, too, that though we are not perfect human beings and we are faced with a lot of troubles and, and, and that we are tempted on each side and we happen to fall in sin, we are not supposed to lie down and wallow in our sins and make it okay or normalize being sinful. But we are to expose our sins by confessing them and then forsake them, putting our trust and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear friends, I want to say thank you very much for joining me. This brings us to the end of our episode. But thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for joining me and uh, hearing this. If you have any questions or you have any comments, if this has been insightful to you in any way or helpful in any way, please do write to us on our comment section on our on our, on our website and also maybe give us a, a like on our 
Facebook group um, and also uh, would appreciate your follow on all our social platforms. We are on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Our handle is Bible Near You. Would really appreciate that. So if you have any questions, you can send us an email to questions at biblenearyou.co.za. And if you wish to support the Bible Near You podcast, you can uh, send us an email at info, info at biblenearyou.co.za and we will get back to you. My dear friends, my name is Lungisa Jostri. You have a super fantastic week. Mm-hmm.